0: So how often does this happen to you? You get into bed, turn off the lights, close your eyes, and then you just wait.
1: I'd hear the house creaking. I would start to hear every tire come by. I'd hear birds outside.
0: This is John Delman. He's a creative director at Ueno, a UX design studio based in San Francisco. And he just couldn't sleep
1: and I would lay there and lay there. And I'd tell myself I'm not gonna open my eyes until I fall asleep.
0: And it's not that he didn't try to fix it either.
1: I'd get up and I'd run in place in my room to try and exhaust me. I would research things online. There was a ring that I found that was tracking your sleep patterns. I tried pharmaceuticals, sleep drugs. Um, I tried taking a shower before I went to bed. I tried uh, a heating pad. I tried meditating.
0: Now, as he lay there with the night joining on, he'd imagine how brutal the next day was going to be.
1: God, I worried about falling asleep at work. (laughs) I worried about falling asleep in my car in the parking lot. (laughs) You know, I worried about a ton of other things because I felt like I had no control.
0: It was hard to focus.
1: I would be stressed all day long, worrying that I'm missing things, seeing that I was missing things at times because my brain was just not on par.
0: And eventually, John realizes what's costing him his sleep.
1: What I noticed was uh, distinct patterns around stress. So when I was really stressed, like I had a big presentation or I had a thing that I was worried about doing. Uh, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a huge fan of flying, so I would get stressed out before I'd have to travel for work. Uh, I wouldn't sleep well those nights.
0: John's story, unfortunately, is not uncommon at all. A lot of people have a hard time sleeping. In fact, about a third of America's population struggles just to sleep through the night. Coupled with that, a lot of people are just stressed out and anxious these days. And if we're too wound up to sleep, that really impacts everything. Our relationships, our work, our ability to function— now, some companies see this as a design challenge. They believe that the right product with the right UX can actually help us sleep better and tackle stress and anxiety too. But can you really design a good night's sleep and better mental health? Let's find out. I'm Koi Vin, Senior Director of Design at Adobe. And this is Wireframe, a podcast about how design helps technology fit into our lives from Adobe XD. When designing your next website, app, or digital product, the last thing you want are complicated tools that keep you up at night. Adobe XD is an all-in-one user experience design tool. It helps you quickly turn ideas into realistic prototypes, keep your team in sync, and make your dreams come true. Find out how XD can work for you. Visit adobe.ly tryxd.
2: Oh, man, Coy! Can I ever relate to John Delman's insomnia story?
0: Folks, this is Miriam Johnson, one of our producers on Wireframe. Welcome, Miriam. Thank you. So you've actually told me that you also have problems sleeping. Is that right?
2: That is right. And I have had them for years. I usually warn people that sharing a bed with me is like sleeping next to a rotisserie chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm just constantly rotating all night long.
0: Uh, Yeah, I don't want to get in trouble here. But, you know, my wife, Laura, is a bit like this, too. Um, Oh, no. Yeah, she has a bit of trouble sleeping. And so sometimes she wears an eye mask and sometimes she puts in earplugs. Like, everything sort of has to be just right for her to fall asleep. So I sometimes joke that she's a bit like the princess in the pea.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I feel exactly the same way. And like Laura and John Delman, I've tried everything. There was a year where I tried to sleep with a T-shirt over my head just to block <laughs> out the light. It was a good look for me. Um, and then I bought blackout curtains.
0: Oh, wow. That's that's pretty serious.
2: I know. It was it was very serious. I also bought an app that would hypnotize me into a deep sleep. So I fell asleep listening to that for a while. The latest thing I've bought is a pillow that stays cold all the time. And the the list just goes on and on and on. That's amazing.
0: All of that investment and you're just one person. Think about how much money you spent on this over time. Crazy.
2: Oh, I do not even want to know. I don't want to think about it. And I looked this up. There are estimates out there that suggest the sleep aid industry is on track to be worth almost $85 billion by 2021.
0: Yeah, it's no wonder companies wanted to design products for this market.
2: Well, exactly. So let's explore the role UX designers are playing in this. We're gonna look at three different ways designers are tackling stress, anxiety, and putting us to bed.
0: Okay, let's do it.
2: Let's start with this idea of how designers are tackling stress and how that ties into sleep. Let's meditate.
0: Uh, Okay, right now?
2: (laughs) Yeah. We're gonna use this meditation app. It's called Headspace.
0: Ah, Headspace, yes. This is an app that I've noticed uh, showing up on a lot of people's phones.
2: Yeah, it's really popular. Over 62 million people have downloaded it. And I've tried some of this stuff, and it actually has helped me get more sleep. So, okay, indulge me. I'm going to play an example of a headspace meditation, and we'll follow along.
0: Okay, I'm ready.
3: So take a moment just to get comfortable. Sitting with your eyes open, nice, soft focus. And when you're ready, just taking a couple of big, deep breaths.
2: Okay, Koi, let's do it.
3: Let's do it breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. As you breathe in, noticing how the body expands. And you breathe out, noticing how the body softens.
2: So, Koi, obviously we're not going to spend the rest of the show meditating.
0: (laughs) That would be a pretty exciting show, though.
2: (laughs) Right. But if you do this regularly, it helps ground you. It helps calm your mind.
0: Yeah, actually, I've been so busy today that just taking a moment to literally catch my breath is really kind of nice.
2: Yeah, that's the really nice thing about meditation is it helps put you in the moment no matter what else is going on in your life.
0: Actually, I just pulled up the Headspace app and um, it's really very pleasing. It's got these simple sort of childlike illustrations. It's very colorful, but it's not... Overbearing. Mm-hmm. It's very organic looking, which, you know, as well it should be.
2: One of the reasons I like Headspace is they're pretty well rounded when it comes to different aspects of mindfulness. Um, they, they even have features for sleep and they call them sleep casts. They're basically Headspace's version of a bedtime story and they include a bit of meditation. Here's an example of one
4: Hey there. Thanks for joining us for this evening's trip. To the cat marina. Perfect if you're a fan of boats or a fan of cats. Even better if you happen to be a lover of both.
0: This is a serious thing, right?
2: Yeah. And apparently it's helping a lot of people. This one, as you heard, is a cat marina.
0: A cat marina.
2: Yeah. And they have all different types of ones. So you can go on a desert walk, you can go on a monsoon walk. Sleep scientists say that bedtime stories can really help insomniacs, especially if the stories don't build in any way. So they're really just there to chill you out. I talked to Ian McConchie about this. He's the VP of Design at Headspace.
5: They are instructional as much as they are kind of stories that have no intention of excitement or boredom to them. Like they're not meant to make you think of, oh, what's going to happen next. It's not that kind of story. It's very much uh, monotonous, but without it being boring, because otherwise you just get annoyed with it.
4: He's a fluffy black and white cat, sporting a luxurious ruff, as though he fancies himself some sort of 16th century prince.
0: (laughs) I mean, I don't know how you fall asleep if you're laughing, but... (laughs) Uh, so these they are they're basically uh, audiobooks, right, Miriam? Or, or podcasts.
2: Yeah, except they've designed an extra layer of user interaction. So you can tune the audio down to favor the narrator like well, this.
4: You know what they are. It's a great place to take a gentle stroll.
2: Or you can favor the ambient mix a little bit more like this.
4: I
0: always like to do a little wind down. So it's really up to the user to decide how this works best for them.
2: Exactly. And Headspace sees a natural relationship between their primary focus, which is meditation, and this focus on
5: sleep. So without good sleep and good rest, you're not in a good Headspace in the morning. You're probably not even ready to meditate in the morning if you're feeling all tired and just this is probably the last thing you want to do.
0: Uh, So sounds like they're trying to build in a kind of loop here to help you keep using the app. So you use Headspace to fall asleep, and then when you wake up, you're rested, and then you can use Headspace again to meditate.
2: Yeah, and to help with that, they're now designing mindfulness experiences tailored to the time of day. So there's a feature called The Wake Up. It's a series of short videos on topics like managing stress or letting go of fear, And you watch these videos and then they bump you right into a guided meditation after.
5: This was a very intentional experiment to try and understand, can we be a a bit of an antidote to the social media anxiety, the kind of need to get something in the morning so that you're kind of like, oh, I just need something to kind of like wake me up?
0: You know, I, I think I see what's happening here. I think Headspace, what they're doing is they're trying to get users to build habits around meditation. And, you know, make a habit of using Headspace along the way.
2: Yes, it is about building habits. That's very much front of mind for Ian and the design team.
5: Habit forming is a really interesting area and something we've been talking about a lot recently. As a team, trying to sort of help people form a habit so they get value from the product, as opposed to help people form a habit so they stay with the product.
0: Yeah, in the past, we've actually talked about the darker side of designing addictive tech products on this show. It's kind of similar to what he's talking about here, I think.
2: Right. But I like that he's suggesting they're being mindful of creating habits for healthy reasons. And it's because the founders of Headspace really trust that their app can really help people.
5: We believe and have evidence that coming back to meditation or mindfulness daily is really beneficial. You know, even if it's taking five minutes, there's some benefit. We'd recommend 10. All of which might help you sleep better, I imagine.
2: Yeah, well, that's the dream. So that's a bit about how Headspace builds stress and sleep solutions into their meditation app. But this next example is focused more on managing stress and more specifically, anxiety.
0: You know, a lot of people use the word stress and anxiety interchangeably. So maybe we should go into that a little bit here.
2: Okay, you're right. Um, so stress is a response to some kind of triggering situation. It's It's something external. So it'll be something like a pandemic or losing your job, going through a breakup. Anxiety is about excessive worry. If you're prone to anxiety, it's a long-term thing that you carry with you. So you could be riding the subway and feel anxious about being there, even though there's no perceivable threat in front of you. And
0: yeah, anxiety can really keep you up at night.
2: Oh yeah. And serious anxiety can really mess with you. It's something Anya Waisaka has direct personal experience with. Anya created an app called Rooted. It's built to help people manage both anxiety and panic attacks, and she made it because of her own history.
6: I felt very vulnerable. A lot of intrusive thoughts, a lot of self-doubt. I started experiencing panic attacks in my last year of university. I really didn't know what they were and what that feeling meant in my body. So I was really confused.
2: Um, they are a terrifying experience. Anya needed help. But at this point in her life, she didn't have quick and easy access to mental health services. I didn't have a
6: family doctor and a lot of the other resources available to people, like traditional counseling, my first instinct was to reach for my phone and to see if there's something on there that could help support me at that time. But when I did reach for my phone, I didn't find anything that I was
0: looking for. Oh, I see. So this rooted, she basically built it for herself.
2: Yeah. Well, that's what really motivated her initially, which, you know, if you're building something just for you, it kind of makes your user research pretty straightforward.
0: Is Anya a designer?
2: Well, she has a bit of a graphic design background, but she didn't study UX and she's not a health expert either, but she didn't let that stop her. A lot of the
6: wireframing and UI UX was done by myself without formal testing, as I now know you should probably do. I was um, bootstrapping and kind of doing this by myself, creating a product that I thought would resonate with people who shared a similar experience with me. Sounds like she was pretty scrappy about
0: this whole project.
2: Yeah, very DIY kind of thing. She's sketching in her notebook. She talks to a bunch of cognitive behavioral therapists. She hires a developer who builds it. And she does something else that's kind of unusual in UX design. She launches the app without getting a chance to really test it with other users.
6: If I had a bigger budget, if I had a team, I would probably do more proper surveys and really get tests out there it was almost like this vulnerable okay i'm just gonna put this out there and see what happens
0: okay so i've actually got rooted here on my phone i'm gonna open it up and take a look the app icon it's like this cartoon image of like a cute little blue monster with sharp teeth
2: yeah so that guy's name is Ron. ron he's this little cartoon monster and he lives inside of the app i and i just wanted something to be there
6: on the journey with the user So that's where Ron came from. And it just, it was also just this ridiculous character.
2: The whole idea with this app is that it roots you or grounds you when you're feeling like your anxiety is about to get the better of you.
0: So why a little blue monster, do you know?
2: Anya says it's basically a play on the idea that anxiety can feel like a monster. But it's
6: also this idea that that monster can be a friend. He's also experiencing that journey with you in a way. Also.
0: At the bottom of the screen, right in the middle, there's a big, red, really cartoony button. What's mm. that for?
2: Yeah, so Anya calls this button the rooter, again meaning that it's meant to root you. And it's there for whenever you're feeling particularly overwhelmed by your anxiety or if you feel a panic attack coming on. And regardless of where you are in the app, it's always there with you.
6: A big red button solidifies the fact that it's an emergency, which can in itself be a little triggering. However, the first thing you want when you are experiencing those feelings is the quickest way to find a way out.
0: Okay, so if I'm using Rooted and I start Mm -hmm. feeling panicky, I push this button, what happens next?
2: So the app tries to help you rationalize your way out of an attack. It displays a series of statements or advice about what's happening to you. Or you can press another trigger and have Anya read them out loud.
0: Okay, let me give it a try.
2: The
6: fear you're experiencing right now is only a behavioral response to belief in a threat. There's never any lasting physical or mental damage from a panic attack. Your body is capable of handling everything you're feeling right now.
0: Yeah, it's basically letting me know that I'm gonna be okay.
2: Yeah, so for Anya, hearing a series of rational, logical statements about managing a panic attack can help her get through one. She wanted other people to have access to the same strategies.
0: But Miriam, I don't see Ron the monster anywhere.
2: (laughs) Oh, he's still around. In this case, once you complete a session with the panic button and you've managed your attack, he pops up and he gives you points. They're called survivor points.
6: You get survivor points when you you live through these panic attacks and kind of remind yourself that you can handle it in the future and keep uh, reinforcing your strength.
0: I don't know that I would have ever thought about applying basically gamification strategies to an app for managing mental health. Mm -hmm. But then again, you know, I can't say that I've dealt with acute levels of anxiety either. So this is a really good example of a designer really understanding her user's needs.
2: And like we said, originally she built this app as a way to just help herself manage her own mental health.
0: So you said that she built this and she launched it without the resources to do much user testing. Um, What are the users telling her now?
2: Well, she has over 280,000 users, and she's constantly engaging with them and incorporating their feedback into the app, almost kind of obsessively.
6: If there's a review that's even four-star, I'll be that annoying person to be like, what could we do to make it a five-star?
2: And lately, some of her favorite feedback has come from first responders. These are people who are using Rooted while trying to manage the pandemic.
6: There have been people who are doctors and nurses writing message about how it's been helping them deal with everything as they're technically on the front line and just working long hours and I imagine extremely stressful hours. That's definitely something that just means a lot to me.
2: Guided meditations, sleep casts, blue cartoon monsters, all built to calm our minds or get more sleep. Next up... Let's talk about how designing sleep trackers are meant to help improve the quality of the sleep we get.
0: And when we're talking about sleep trackers, what we mean is the apps and gadgets that collect data on our sleeping habits to help quantify how well we're sleeping, right?
5: Yeah.
2: And there are dozens of these things out there. I mean, a ton of downloadable apps, too, with names like Sleep Cycle and Sleep Score and Sleep Plus Plus.
0: Yeah. And even Apple has officially now joined the sleep tracker movement. They announced uh, their own sleep app uh, back in June.
2: Yeah. And these tools will track things like your heart rate, how much you toss and turn, how many hours you slept through the night. And some of them are designed to help you wake up at the right time. And there's one company doing this called Withings.
0: Oh, I know about this. They make a pad that you sleep under your mattress, and that pad collects data while you sleep.
2: That's right. Yeah, they also offer a watch that you can wear in your sleep. And Lucas Guarneri is one of their UX designers. He's in Paris, France.
3: When I joined Withings in 2015, I was really impressed at how, you know, a strip of fabric under my mattress could track so much. And so people back then really viewed sleep tracking as gadgets. And I think we've successfully managed to move beyond that.
0: This is actually something that I've always been curious about with sleep trackers, like I'm not sure how I understand how a bunch of numbers help me sleep better. Hmm. I mean, if it tells you, hey, you only got three hours of sleep last night, I mean, don't you kind of know that already? I mean, you were kind of there, right? <laughs> awake,
2: too. Well, that's, that's exactly the challenge. Data for the sake of data isn't really helpful if you don't design context around the information. And Lucas thinks a lot about how to avoid what he calls cognitive overload,
3: More data isn't always better if you don't understand it and if you can't act on it. So we've worked with sleep doctors and also psychologists to make sure that we were given the right information at the right time and not creating cognitive overload. We're already swamped with information. So the most important thing we should do as UX designers is avoid designing experiences that add to that cognitive overload. Yeah,
0: I think that's exactly right. I mean, context is everything here. If you give a user too much information they're just not going to know what to do with it.
2: That's right. So here's one way Withings deals with that. They give users something called a sleep score.
0: Oh, yeah, I've heard of this. I think Fitbit is another company that also uses a sleep score. It's like one number that basically combines all the data points together into a kind of an average, right?
2: Yeah, essentially. It's a number from zero to 100. And it's based on values like if your sleep is interrupted or you know how deep your sleep was or how much time you spent in bed and so on.
0: So I imagine if you're scoring in the high 90s one week and then, say, in the low 60s the following week, that is probably a trigger for you to question what's going on in your life, Well,
2: right? exactly, yeah. I, I mean, it's not about heart rates or breathing rates or whether you're a rotisserie chicken like me, tossing and turning. <laughs> it's it's what's changed. Is it exercise? Am I stressed out at work? Am I watching too much Netflix before bed? The thinking behind designing a sleep score is to give you something that's simple and trackable over time.
3: Our goal is to give users, I would say, that initial feeling of control on their vitals so they can get the motivation to learn how to improve and treat. I think it gives you the tool to take action.
0: Okay, so clearly, designers like Lucas, they put a lot of thought into how to make sleep data actually useful. But all of these apps that we're talking about today really none of them are giving actual medical advice.
2: That's true, and none of these apps claim to do that. All of the designers that we spoke with work with medical experts when they're designing any of their apps or features. But the issue you're raising here is valid. Some users do make mistakes or assumptions when it comes to using these apps, especially
7: when it comes to sleep trackers. Sleep apps can be valuable in bringing awareness of good sleep habits and bringing awareness of sleep disorders to people. But be careful because they cannot diagnose medical sleep disorders at this point in time. So Koi, this is Dr. Christina Hartsey. She's at the Sun City Sleep Center in El Paso, Texas. People will use these apps and then bring them into the office and say, look, I have evidence that I don't have a sleep disorder. And it becomes very difficult sometimes to convince people that we don't really know what this app is measuring.
0: That's gotta be so frustrating for a doctor who's trying to help a patient. I mean, it really does seem like there is a risk here of users trusting their apps more than they might trust a trained medical professional.
2: Yeah, and she also says that not only that, but sometimes it can work the other way around.
7: Let's say, for example, you have insomnia, I have insomnia, and I use a sleep app and, well, this thing doesn't work. That doesn't mean that the app doesn't work. It might mean that you have an underlying condition that requires further medical attention that you need to see your doctor about. So that's the danger in taking the information from these apps and using that as a substitute for medical advice.
0: Yeah, this is what I was wondering about. Designers have to be careful in this space, mm-hmm. right? They, they have to be careful that their product isn't being used for something that it wasn't intended to be used for.
2: Mm-hmm. And Lucas feels the same way.
3: There's no tension between UX practice and real medicine as long as UX designers don't pretend to do a job that isn't theirs. We can empower patients with tangible measurements of their health concerns that they can show to their doctors. But at the end of the day, medical experts are the ones making the call. So, Miriam, we started
0: this episode asking if design can actually help put us to sleep and calm us down and reduce our anxiety. And it sounds like the answer is yes, but with caveats.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. Like, They can help us manage problems and build habits, but they can't really fix anything. And while something like Headspace works for me... It's not for everyone.
0: Okay, how about John Delman, the insomniac designer that we heard from at the beginning of the show? (laughs) How have these tools worked out for him?
1: Well, they haven't. Um, Headspace for sleep doesn't work for me. Um, Not because it's doing anything wrong or the voice isn't coming. In fact, the guy's voice is... It's so soothing. It's wonderful.
0: Okay, so no to headspace. How about the sleep trackers he was trying?
1: But Yeah, so those didn't work either. put an unnecessary pressure on me. Like, what you don't want to be judged on is like, am I sleeping correctly?
0: Yeah, it's a good point. Why be judged on your sleeping? Mm -hmm. So what did he end up doing?
1: Well,
2: so he's actually, he's doing a lot better now. And it's, it's actually thanks to some pretty old school methods. So he basically just tires himself out so that his brain is so exhausted he can't stay
1: up. I'm, I'm into running. It gives me, not only exhausts my body and puts my body in a healthier state, but it also gives me these big pockets of time where I can think, where I can get thoughts out of my head, where I can train my brain to think in, in deeper ways.
0: Yeah, that's a great solution. Mm-hmm. How about you, Miriam? Are you sleeping better now too, I hope?
2: Yeah, I am actually. So I will say that like John, I've also kind of gone for an old school solution, which is that I got a dog.
0: Oh, right. Your dog. Tell us about your dog.
2: <laughs> well, so she gets up around 5.30 every morning, which has kind of shifted things around for me in a big way. But it's built this routine into my life that really helps me get to bed at the right time every night. And actually, by the way, she's uh, she's looking at me right now, so <laughs> I better go um, take her for a walk.
0: Okay. Have fun. Okay. Thanks, Miriam.
2: Sweet dreams, Koi.
0: Miriam Johnson is a dog owner and a recently well-rested Wireframe producer. And I'm Koi Vin. In our next episode, the last of the season, we're heading to the polls. We'll meet some of the hardworking civic designers who do the thankless and difficult work of designing for elections. This is Wireframe, an original podcast from Adobe XD. Find out more about designing with Adobe XD by visiting adobe.ly slash tryxd.